0: Good morning. Uh, as I get started my message, I just want to remind you about a couple of things. Patty mentioned earlier that uh, there's a version app that's available either for your smartphones or for your personal devices. And we actually uh, put a sermon notes and sermon outline in there. So if that would be helpful for you, you can follow along if you go get that version app. also want to let you know that there's life group questions that are available that are related to the sermon. So if you're in a life group, you can pull down those life group questions from that Uversion app as well. And one other tool, we just want to make sure everybody has all the tools that are available. Uh, if you're not able to come to worship on a Sunday and you'd like to hear the message, you can go to our website on our church's website, and there's a place that you can download the podcast of the sermon uh, from each Sunday. So by Tuesday at noon, that, that sermon should be there on that podcast available. So I know a number of people use that resource. We just want to let you know that it's out there and available uh, if you're not able to worship with us on Sunday morning. So this is Palm Sunday, and I thought the kids did an awesome job uh, kind of helping us uh, think about Palm Sunday. They came in waving the palm branches and, and did a great song for us. And, and we know from the, the Bible that Palm Sunday, that we're told that this is Jesus' triumphant entry into Jerusalem. And as he's coming in, the people, the crowds are there, and they're singing and shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is the name uh, of the one who comes uh, in the name of the Lord. And yet, thinking about that crowd on Palm Sunday, there's just not something that's quite right about that. Because we know when there's Palm Sunday that there's a Good Friday that comes behind Palm Sunday. And there's also a large crowd that gathers around Jesus on Good Friday as well. Large crowds at both occasions, Palm Sunday and Good Friday. But there's a di- big difference between the Good Friday crowd and the Palm Sunday crowd. On Good Friday, the, the people shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. On Good Friday, they were shouting, Crucify him. Crucify him. Crucify him. And I wonder if there were some people that had been a part of both crowds that week. It kind of seems reasonable that at least some of them that were there to greet Jesus with shouts of Hosanna were probably also present on Good Friday uh, with that Good Friday crowd. Being sinful, hypocritical even, some would hail Jesus and greet him with waving palm branches only to have to turn against him in a few days later. But this day, Palm Sunday, they pave his path with laying palm branches down on the road. They even were told they take the, the coats that are on their back and they lay the coats down as kind of a recognition of this king entering into Jerusalem. But five days later, they demand that Jesus be stripped naked, beaten, and crucified. We've been following the last 24 hours of Jesus' life In a sermon series the last few weeks, we saw him in the garden where he's praying intensely to his father. And he's basically asking God, could there be another way? And yet at the end of the prayer, he he prays, not my will, but your will be done. And then we see the scene where one of his own disciples, one of his own followers, betrays him. He's arrested. He's taken to the Sanhedrin. There's a trial that's put on. He's found guilty for blasphemy. We also saw a scene where Peter, one of his closest companions, his disciples, had promised Jesus that he was going to stand with him no matter what the trials were that Jesus would face. And then that very night, he denies Jesus three times, denies even knowing him. And then last week, we saw Jesus was brought before Pilate and the Roman governor, who finally, in frustration, condemns Jesus to be crucified. And so we arrive at the cross I just want to take some time briefly this morning to describe what happens at a Roman crucifixion. I know some of you have heard this or parts of it, but I think it's really important for us to remember just the depth of what Christ went through on our behalf. The Romans had invented crucifixion. It was to be a public display of the worst kind of torture possible, the worst kind of death. In fact, our root for the word excruciating comes from the word crucifixion. It was the worst kind of possible pain and suffering. So when someone was condemned to be crucified, the first thing that they would do is they would take them out and then they would whip them with a uh, a terrible, terrible whip 39 times. Now, why 39? Well, there was this sense of belief that that there was a possibility that on the 40th lash, it might be so much that somebody might die. And so they would stop one lash short of what might bring possible death. And once they'd been whipped, then what they would do is they would force them to carry the large crossbeam, and usually it was about six feet long, and they'd have to carry that from where they had been whipped uh, to the place that they were going to be crucified. Once they arrived at the location with the crossbeam, they put the beam on the ground, they put the criminal up against the beam, arms stretched out wide, and they would drive large nails, one in each wrist. We see pictures often in the hand, but it was in the wrist. They would drive that nail between the two bones that make up our forearm in order to be able to hold the weight of the person's body on the cross. And then they would take that large crossbeam with the person on it, hanging on the nails, And they would raise that up and it would place that and secure it to the vertical beam that was already in the ground. And once they had it secured to the vertical beam, then they would take the criminal's feet and they would put them usually on the side of the cross. Oftentimes we see them on the front, but studies and evidence shows that most of the time they would put them on the side of the cross and they'd take two large nails, one on each side, and drive it through the top of the heel bone in order for that weight of that person again to be held up uh, and, and stay on the cross. Now, there were a couple of reasons why the Romans chose this kind of torture, this kind of death. They had two purposes. One is, was to punish the criminal by pro- prolonging the pain as long as possible. It was a terrible kind of death. Uh, we understand that, that criminals could, uh, people could survive for even a few days on the cross, and so it was this torturous kind of experience. Um, they would uh, be in a constant battle between uh, trying to catch a breath, which caused them to have to pull down on their arms and their wrists and push on their feet against those nails and reach up and get a breath. And then in that excruciating pain that they had pulled up to get the breath, and they would then try to rest and they would lay back down or they would come back down against the nails to get some rest. But, but while they were in the down position, they could not get a breath. And so you had this constant battle of trying to catch a breath, and then your muscles and your pain so significant you'd have to go back down and rest Eventually the person would die of a combination of asphyxi- 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 Oh man, I had that great in the first two services. Asphyxiation and muscle fatigue. Here I'm I'm tired. I've been preaching three times, I can't get that word out correctly. But that's how they would die. Uh, the second purpose why they invented this terrible form of death is they would use it as a public exposure, serving as a warrant a warning and a deterrent to anybody else to see that you don't want to do what this person did. And so what they would do to kind of make this more public is, again, they would make that person carry that cross beam through the streets of the city to the outside, or wherever they had, were doing the crucifixions. And part of it is they carried the cross beam. They usually had a placard as well that would be proclaiming the crime that they had committed that caused them to be found guilty. And so they wanted the public to know this is what this person's being hung for. You better not be doing that kind of stuff. They also would place these places of crucifixion, usually in very public uh, roadways, because they wanted as many people as possible to see what was happening and see why these people were being crucified. And so Jesus himself was hung at Golgotha. What we know about that area is that it most likely was on the outside of the city wall, but it was close to where there were significant crossroads, two crossroads leading to some two larger communities that people would often travel on their way in and out of Jerusalem. So it was a very public uh, kind of humiliation and shaming that would take place. Now that's pretty intense. That wasn't as intense as I could make it, but... But I want us just to pause for a moment and to ask the question, what can we learn from Jesus' excruciating death on the cross? What does the cross reveal to us even today? What meaning can it carry for us today? Well, the first thing is when I look at the cross, I see that the cross reveals the truth about humankind, that we need a Savior. If we look at the scene that kind of was around the cross, we're we're reminded that something inside of us as humans is not quite right. We tend to do wrong things. We tend to do things that hurt ourselves or hurt others. Look at those who were around the scene of the cross and around Jesus' suffering, his passion the last 24 hours. The story of his suffering depicts many of the sins that eventually put Jesus on the cross. Think about those scenes and the sins that People struggled with. There was pride and envy, um, jealousy, betrayal, cruelty, uh, greed, indifference, cowardice, murder. And we could probably find more in those stories. And then we take those sins, but then we look at our own sins and we can add our sins to make the list complete that caused Christ to go to the cross. We look at that list of sins, we look at that scene, and we say, what an ugly picture. Of the human condition, the scene of the cross it shows both religious and irreligious people inflicting their wounds on the heart of God. Jerusalem's highest religious leaders converged at the cross, and they were adding insult to injury with bitter vindictiveness towards Jesus. Soldiers were ignoring what was happening on the cross, and they were gambling away at Jesus's whatever meager belongings and clothes he still had trying to gain a little bit more than what they were getting paid for their day's wages. And that kind of greed uh, still is in existence in our world and in our hearts today. It's there then and it's there today. We hear the story about two bandits who were being crucified on either side of him and they didn't recognize who Jesus was and why he was dying. They, wouldn't, they didn't believe he was giving his life for sinners and they joined in with everyone else mocking him on the cross. And others in the crowd had gathered around at the cross and they were making fun of Jesus. They thought the verdict was already in. They thought that Jesus had been found the big loser. They didn't understand why would anyone not want to save anything other than himself? And as I look at that scene and I ask the question, are we any different than the crowd? Am I any different than those in the scene? And sadly, if I really take in a severe moral inventory of my own life, I recognize that I suffer from the same brokenness As the crowd at the cross, we tend to do wrong things. We tend to do things that God doesn't want us to do. And we build a wall that separates us from God. It's a reminder. It's a reminder that I need saving, that I need a Savior, that we need a Savior. We look at the cross, though, I think we also see a God who suffers. We see a picture of God who suffers, God's power takes that venomous mockery that was being spit out at Jesus, and it turns it into this proclamation of the gospel. The religious leaders that day, they looked at Jesus and they said, he, he saved others, but he can't save himself. They didn't understand. They misunderstood Jesus' power on the cross. It was not that he could not save himself. If we really understand the full gospel stories, if we understand Jesus' power as we see him, all the miracles that he had performed seeing people, uh, raising people from the dead, all the other things that happened. We look at Jesus, and we got to believe that he could have saved himself if he wanted to. But the reason he stayed on the cross wasn't because he couldn't save himself. It was because of his passion to save others. On the cross, God suffers, and his power absorbs the toxin of our human condition and our hatred, and it, turns it he turns it into salvation. For all who put their trust in a God who loves this much and works in this way. At the cross, we see a God who's willing to suffer. To take on the consequences of our brokenness. God, who we call Heavenly Father, suffers for His children. He's paying a price for us. God actually suffers for our brokenness. By our decision to walk away from God, God suffers. If you're a parent, you understand that there are times that you suffer for your kids. My kids are grown. They're, they're almost gone now from our home. They're in college. They're kind of in that transition period where they're going away from our uh, control and our support to, to taking on responsibility for their own lives or for their adult life. And we're hoping that they take full responsibility and graduate and go get a job and don't come back home. But, you know, we're going to love them either way that that happens. But if you're a parent, you understand there are times you suffer with and for your kids, especially when they're going through a hard time. There are times you weep for your kids and the things that they're doing or the things that they're experiencing. The cross tells us that God also suffers for His people. He suffers for His children. He is paying a price. On the cross, He's saying, Hey, whatever you don't, you don't know or whatever you've not heard yet, I want to tell you this. I'm going to show you on the cross now and forever that I have suffered for you. That I have grieved for you. That I have that I have mourned for you. That I have wept for you. In, this, in the cross we see a God who suffers for you. Not only that, but that God chooses to step into our existence and step in among us and to walk with us and to suffer with us here and now. He doesn't promise on the cross to take away all the evil in the world, all the pain and the suffering that we're going to experience. But he suffers for us. And with us. And he bears the pain that we inflict on ourselves and on others. And so on the cross, we see that God feels. He understands our pain, our suffering, our despair, our isolation, our burdens. From the cross, the Son cries out to the Father He says, Father, why have you forsaken me? Jesus knows what you know, what it feels like in moments of pain and, and deep despair. On the cross, we see the Son of God. He took on our humanity and he absorbed all the bitter suffering and anguish of the world. And we worship a Savior that can empathize with us when we feel that God is silent, when we feel completely forsaken. Defeat may tempt us to give up our faith in God, but Jesus' cry on the cross reveals a faith that will not let go of God, even when everything feels overwhelming, even in the midst of greatest suffering. We see a God who suffers for us. When we look at the cross, though, I also think we see uh, a character of our God who, who forgives. We see a God who forgives, who chooses to forgive. And while the cross reminds me of my need for mercy and of humanity's brokenness and the place that God pays for our brokenness, it also reminds me of a God who chooses to forgive. The God who chooses to sacrifice his son to forgive. The God who says, I will not leave you in your sin, but instead says, I will show you mercy. And he demonstrates his great steadfast love for us on the cross. In the Old Testament and Psalms, his word tells us, as far as the east is from the west, so far have I removed your transgressions from you. And so when I look at the cross, I remember my sin. But I also remember his forgiveness. The cross for us is a sign that a price was paid for our sin and that we are, in fact, forgiven. And so when you claim the cross, you claim the grace of Jesus that comes with the cross. No matter what the sin is that you've committed, no matter how far you feel like you have gone away from God, no matter the the ways that you've turned Him down or disappointed Him, His grace is still there for you. His grace is ready and waiting His grace is still sufficient for you. But remember that it comes at a great price. Never forget there was a price paid to communicate His grace. The cross is a reminder of His peace and His forgiveness. One of the other gospel accounts um, tells us that while Jesus is on the cross, He's looking down at the soldiers who are gambling for His garments. He's looking out at the crowd who's mocking Him. And what does He say? How does He respond to them? He says, Father, forgive them. Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. So when we look at the cross, we see a God who forgives. We also see the cross reveals God's incredible love. The cross boldly proclaims God's decision to not hold back and to watch to see what we might do on our own, but instead to get involved, to take matters into his divine hands and to join God's own self with us to fully and completely so that we might live and die and live again forever in hope and encourage that's the story the cross tells us the story of God's passionate and relentless quest to redeem each and all of us in his love So when we look on the cross, remember that Jesus said earlier in his ministry, greater love has no one than he is willing to lay down his life for his friends. And Jesus hangs on the cross and he lays down his life and he's demonstrating the depth of God's love for me and for you. I don't care who you are or what people have said about you. I don't care how low you may feel in your current condition. God loves you. God loves you. God knows you, God, he knows your story, he knows your name, and he loves you like crazy. The cross was meant to be a demonstration for you, a sign for you, a word from God to you, which he says, I love you so much, it hurts. I love you so much, I would pay any price for you. I would give myself, I would give my son for you. I would lay down my life for you. It's a sign of God's love for you and for me. I want us to look at one more thing, and there's certainly many things we can discover when we see Jesus on the cross. But I think also when we look at the cross in this story, it reveals that God's love and his power can win those we might never dream would respond. Look at the centurion in this story, and Joseph from Arimathea. The actions of the centurion, he was the Roman soldier who was in charge of the whole group there. And his responsibility was to make sure that Jesus and these other criminals were crucified and that they died. And yet we see the story also of Joseph and he he was a respected and a wealthy council member, a part of the Sanhedrin who condemned Jesus to death just the night before. And and we look at these two guys in the story and we look at them and it means that there is no one who is too far from God and from his love. The power of the cross is so great that even those who persecute Christians can be brought to faith. The centurion may or may not have won the lottery for Jesus' belongings, but he took away from this execution something that I think is infinitely more precious. He did not say that he, whether he believed that Jesus was innocent or not. He didn't say whether he deserved such a fate or not. He simply made a confession that is the rock on which Jesus says he's going to build his church. And the confession is, surely this man, surely this man is the son of God. I also want us to look at at this little brief uh, story that we have about Joseph, Joseph from Arimathea. If you've got your Bibles, turn to Mark 15. It's the end of this story that we had read this morning. It starts in verse 42. I'm going to read a little bit of this as well. And this is really describing what happened after Jesus died. In verse 42, it says, It was preparation day, that is the day before the Sabbath. So as evening approached, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the council, who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, went boldly to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Pilate was surprised to hear that he was already dead. Summoning the centurion, he asked if Jesus had already died. When he learned from the centurion that it was so, he gave the body to Joseph. So Joseph brought some linen cloth, took down the body, wrapped it in the linen and placed it in a tomb cut out of the rock then he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb so we're told in this story about Joseph of Arimathea and and we're told that Joseph was looking for the kingdom of God he was waiting for the kingdom of God and And he most likely had participated the night before with the other Sanhedrin in condemning Jesus to die. And yet, for some reason, he was compelled to risk his reputation and much more to go to Pilate and to ask to take care of Jesus' body after he had died. Joseph, again, was looking for the kingdom of God. And I wonder if he heard about the news of the resurrection. Did he really find the kingdom of God once he knew and he heard that Jesus had been raised from the dead? I just want these two parts, these these two guys in the story, I want to bring them out because I want us to to be encouraged by what God was doing with these guys. And for you to think about, if there's someone that that you love that, that has not yet proclaimed faith in Christ, don't give up. Don't give up. God hasn't given up. God's still at work in their life. The story of the centurion and of Joseph should cause us to trust that God can reach anyone by his compelling love. And if you're here today and you're not sure of your faith in Christ, if you're not sure what to believe, I'd encourage you, keep seeking, keep asking, keep testing with what little faith that you've got. God's Word tells us that if we seek Him, we're going to find Him. And so I just want to encourage you to keep looking, keep asking. But when we see this or we hear this story about Jesus on the cross, when we look at the cross I want to ask, can you say like the centurion said, surely this man was the son of God? Now think again about our condition, our propensity for sin, an innate bent to do dumb things that we hurt ourselves and we hurt others, and we build a wall between us and God. And then knowing that God was willing to suffer for us and to become the sacrifice for our sins on the cross, knowing that God was willing to go on the cross to forgive us, Not to condemn us, and then knowing that God loves each of us so much that there's nothing else that Jesus could do other than go to the cross and to stay on the cross until he died. Knowing all this, what are your excuses for not following him? What are your excuses for not praying to receive his his gift of grace that comes from the cross? Folks, if he's willing to endure that kind of suffering and that kind of pain, the worst kind of death known to humanity, what do you think he would not do for you after dying for you on the cross? Would he not do anything to demonstrate his love for you? As you contemplate God's great love for you on the cross, I just want to close with this this request. As we think about God's love on the cross, what do you want to talk to God to about today? What do you need to bring to him out of your heart? I just want to encourage you right now, go ahead and grab that worship guide, get it in your hands. And I want to ask you to take out a pen or pencil and just write down what three things do you feel like you need to take to God to talk to him about? Just go ahead right now and write them down. We've got time. You see, we know that God is open to us. He loves us so much he was willing to die for us. He wants to have a relationship with us. He wants to know what's on our heart. And in some way he already knows what's on our heart. But there's something important that happens when we take those things to the Lord personally. And so you're, you're writing that down right now. You might be saying, well, what do I write down there? What should I be asking? Well, what's weighing on your heart? What do you need to take to Jesus? What are you afraid of? What burdens are you carrying? What sin do you need to give to him? What do you need to take to God? What saddens you? What confuses you? What do you long to see him do? In your life or in the lives of others. And then when you write those things down this morning, I just encourage you to take those things and spend some time talking to God about them later on today. It doesn't take long, it could take you five minutes, maybe it's a little bit longer. But just simply have a conversation with Him and and ask for Him to respond. Again, what would God not do for us after we know that He's willing to die on the cross for us? His love is so compelling. His love is so f- uh, fulfilling. His grace is so great. It meets, any, meets us in any place, in any condition. Know that He desires to have that relationship with you. Let's pray. I'm going to invite you to close your heads, or bow your heads and close your eyes. And we're going to pray. And as I pray, I'm going to give thanks to God for His great love. But I'm also going to pray if there's any of you here today that you're feeling compelled by God to finally make that decision to trust in Him to say what the centurions say, that surely he, Jesus, was the Son of God. I'm also going to pray at the end a a short prayer. I'm just going to invite you, if that's what you're feeling, you can pray along with me silently while I pray this prayer aloud. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful. We're so grateful, God. We look at our world, we look at ourselves, and we see the, the same problems with sin and brokenness that were so evident at the cross. And God, we're sorry. But God, we're so thankful for your amazing, immense love that that you were willing to go to the cross to go the distance for us. And then as you're on the cross, instead of condemning us, you're, you're offering forgiveness to us. And God, help us to respond out of a heart that's grateful, out of a heart that's devoted to you because of your love that we can see on the cross. God, I also just want to pray right now a simple prayer for those who choose to believe this morning. God, I pray, Lord, I'm so sorry for the sins that I've committed. I'm so sorry for the bad things that I've done. God, I'm thankful for your son, Jesus, and for his love that he demonstrates on the cross for me. God, today I choose to receive his gift of love and grace. And I choose to decide to follow him, to proclaim that he is the Son of God. God, help me to be devoted to you from this point moving forward. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I just want to invite you, if you've prayed that prayer today, then I want to encourage you to tell someone that you know what you've decided to do today. I'll be available after the service is over. We're going to sing a song, but I'll be available over here on the side in the hallway. And so if you want to come, I'd love to hear that. I'd love to be able to encourage you, support you in that decision, and uh, pray for you. So if you're willing, come and meet me there after the service. Let's continue to worship as we close the service.